Right on. Man, that was a moving talk and presentation and opportunity. Thanks, Kelly. Man, ever since like having kids, I get like so sappy at the... That's worthy of being sappy. But um, man, I hope we all can smash that goal. Uh, if you've been with us for the past uh, few weeks, uh, we've been studying how to hear the voice of God. And we talked about some of the different channels and ways um, in which that comes through. And hopefully that was revelatory for how you understand how God can individually speak to you. And I, I can't stress enough that God is a creator, not a duplicator, and that he has a unique expression and voice for every single one of us. And it's gonna look different than how I hear him, how other people, and so I just encourage you guys for that. But um, from that, as you hear from God's voice, I think it's the most instrumental thing in your entire Christian faith is to be able to interact with the living God all creation. It's kind of a big deal, but within that, something happens. The minute that you hear God's voice and your life becomes within frequency of him, you become an incredibly powerful person for the kingdom. Amen, right? Now, if you become in instantly powerful for the kingdom, you also become very annoying to the devil. And you become very frustrating because you are advancing his kingdom. And, um, and there's a chance that you're gonna get on his uh, naughty list, if there is one, I don't know. Um, but if you are a threat to his kingdom by building Jesus' kingdom, certainly there's going to be um, an effort to cause confusion. There's gonna be an effort to get in and, and stifle your effects. And so what I wanna do tonight is actually talk about that because hopefully that we are a community that's striving after getting our you know, direct phone lines. And, but what I wanna address is also the fact that it's just not one voice talking. And our two scriptures here tonight are 2 Corinthians 11 and 1 John 4. I'll read them for you. This is 2 Corinthians 11, verse 12 through 15. It says, and I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants, that's Satan's servants, also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. First John 4 says, verse one, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Everyone say spirits. Notice that's plural. To see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The truth is that there are false apostles, there are false prophets, there are false servants, there are false spirits. Now what many people do with this scripture is they misinterpret the instruction. What they do is they say, if you're an apostle, then you must be a false apostle. If you are a prophet, you must be a false prophet. If you're experiencing supernatural encounters, surely you are encountering false spirits or the demonic. Now, we know that God's pretty smart, right? And now, if he really wanted that to be the message, wouldn't he just said, after the scriptures are contained, all prophets are false. All apostles are false. All spirits are false. Jesus himself says, in the last days, there'll be false prophets. He could have made all the confusion go away by saying, in the last days, all prophets will be false. But that's not what he said. What the scripture is referencing is counterfeit versions of apostles, prophets, and spirits. 
Now, the only way that you can have a counterfeit version of something is if there is a real version, right? Um, people make counterfeit $100 bills. You don't see people making counterfeit $80 bills. They really wouldn't get very far because they don't exist in real life. But as we look at the scriptures, and if you're a part of our community, we recognize that the Holy Spirit speaks through one, his spirit, and he speaks through people. The two primary roles in God's kingdom, and we studied all this all last summer, are the apostles and prophets. Now, if you were Satan, you would probably say to yourself, self, how do I keep people from hearing God and listening to him? Right? And you'd probably try and make them fearful and distrusting of the ways in which God speaks to his people, wouldn't you? A really good idea would be for him to convince everybody that there are no more apostles, prophets, or other spirits. And there we have in the strategy of the enemy to try and bring us into confusion about what are the mechanisms and what are the rules and giftings that God speaks to us individually. So the responsibility for us is not to throw out the baby with the bathwater, it's actually to be uh, on our game, to be, to be on guard and beware of legitimate uh, voices of God and also the counterfeits. Are you with me? So what I want to do tonight is to talk about the ways in which we can discern how that works. Um, early in the summer, we, we talked about the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have the mind of Christ. Sounds pretty rad. There's a lot of default equipment that comes with that. One is the ability for us to discern, and we live in community, so if you don't have the discerning ability, chances are a lot of people here do. So in the role of apostles and prophets, and we never say listen to everybody. Everybody who has a microphone, believe them and apply it to your life. Don't do that. But what I want to do first as I go through this is, is talk about the word that comes from somebody else. And then I'm going to talk about the words that come to you directly or from other mechanisms. And the first thing is this, as you discern from an individual who has maybe a word, they have something to impart to you. There's a message, and it's this, is examine the life of the person giving the word. Examine the life of the person giving the word. We are so quick to open our hearts to influences that have no right to be heard. I found it on the internet, it must be true, you know? We have opened ourselves up so quickly to any blogger comment, anybody with a microphone, anybody who has a podcast. You know how easy it's have to have a podcast? Anybody here can do it. Um, it's easy to write a book. It's easy to do all those things. And so we open ourselves up to all this religious thought. But as you notice in the text, in the Corinthians passage, it says that Satan's servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Satan's servants masquerade, in other words, as religious people. You're not talking about like pointy, you know, thorns and tails and pitchforks. You know, I don't, we, we're deceiving ourselves if we think that always the devil comes and looks really ugly and, you know, has all these evil things to say. Actually, what the scripture tells us is that it's marked with people that are actually really religious oftentimes. Notice that all the religious people that knew the Bible the most missed the Messiah and crucified him. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> so when people are delivering a word, it's perfectly acceptable. In fact, we demand that we should know and have knowledge of the fruit of their life. 
There's nothing wrong with us having a word and saying, awesome, I'm going to put that on a shelf and I want to know about your life. And this is the reason why is that anyone who does not want their life examined is not worthy of being placed into position of influence in your life. Someone who wants you hands off from their private life, from who they really are, actually has no authority to speak into your life. It's been so frustrating. They have all these people. Like, there's no shortage of people who want to tell you how to do life. But as soon as you start looking at their own life, you have to ask yourself, do I want my life to look like theirs? And if someone cannot give you understanding into their private life, why should you give them access to your heart? But we do it all the time. And it takes no skill whatsoever to make a declaration and say, thus says the Lord. You know, any one of you guys could do that. Any of us can go on Facebook. God says this, you know, like anybody can. But it takes real men and women to live transformed lives. That's what we care about. That's not what I like thrive off of is not someone who can spout a scripture, someone who can pray eloquently or do those things. I want someone whose life literally has been transformed. And we need to know that you can't expect to be transformed by someone's word if they themselves haven't been transformed. It's kind of like taking a nutritional advice from someone who's grossly obese. <laughs> They're like lecturing you on salad. You're like, really, pal? Like, that's, really? But what I've learned also from my life, and this, is, this, is, this goes to everybody, not just to who you hear from, but you cannot lead people into places you refuse to go yourself. So whether you're leading or listening, you need to know that someone can never lead you in a place they refuse to go and you'll never leave someone that you refuse to go. But when we trust the person, we examine the fruit of their life, we can say we can trust the word because we have examined that person's life. You with me? The next thing is examine the word along, alongside God's biblical character. Examine the word, the, the voice, whatever meaning, the, the description, whatever is coming to you, examine that alongside God's biblical character. And you just need to simply ask yourself, does the content of this word perfectly align with an all-good God who's good all the time, loving all the time, and patient all the time? We say that we believe in an all-good God, but we don't believe he's all good all the time. How crazy is that when people experience sickness, downfall, adversity, the very first thought is that God is trying to teach them something. God is the one who's doing it. I'm so tired of all these people who blame God for all this mis misfortune in their life. And I hear it all the time. It's like, I had a miscarriage. It's all part of God's plan. No, it isn't. <laughs> no, it isn't. It's not part of his plan. That wasn't how he designed this. Or God is getting impatient with me. He's not. God wants me to strive and try harder. No, he doesn't. God wants me to divorce. No, he didn't say that. God took my job away to discipline me. No, he didn't. God told me not to pay my bills. Ask your landlord. I bet that's not true. God told me to cut off relationship with that person. I don't think so. God changed his mind about that. Nope, he didn't. You just heard wrong. But people describe God's opinion like they describe the advice they got from some guy at a bar last night. You know, somebody like, ah, oh, you just need a like divorce. You know, like whatever. Like we hear such flippant advice and we, we personify what God is saying in those same exact terms. And when we hear the words, we need to line it up with, is this all good, all loving, all patient? If this, is this the definition of God's character and his nature? 
Numbers 23, 19, 11 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son a man that he should change his mind. You can't have God be good some of the time and giving cancer the other part of the time. Matthew 7, verse 9, 11 says this, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? It's so awesome. What kind of father is that? You ask, God, give me health, give me strength, and he gives you cancer. That's a pretty terrible father, if you ask me. Next, this is a good one. Don't confuse feelings and emotions with God's voice. As you're like, yeah, I'm like experiencing God's voice, this is awesome. You know, we need to know that that happens independently of our emotions and feelings. But those two realms can get very, very confusing. And the biggest trap is confusing your feelings with what God is saying. And let me say it clear in this regard. God isn't saying what you are feeling. Someone say amen. God is not saying what you are feeling. Your emotions are not a transcript of God's voice. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 6, 17 that you are united with him in spirit. You are not united with Christ in hormones. (laughs) I don't care how hot she is. God is not telling you that you need to marry her. That's what people do. They're like, they're confusing their attraction with, oh, God's inspiring this. Like, I don't think so. It's kind of called biology, isn't it? Really? I mean, remember like the illustrations in third grade and voices changing and, you know, I don't think that's God's voice. But when we separate, when we understand to learn that our emotions and feelings actually happen outside the realm of our spirit, we, we then can process clearly. And maybe that might be the first time we've ever reconciled because we're all about, oh, I feel this, I feel that. I feel crappy a lot of the time. I don't think it's God's voice. (laughs) You know, like some days I'm like just grouchy. I'm like, is God grouchy? No. And there's a reason why God does not route his voice through your emotions. The first is that he speaks spirit to spirit with you. You're united with him in spirit. That's his connection point. And the second reason is that he speaks to your spirit so your spirit can speak to your emotions. He empowers you to take authority over your, over your emotions. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all these like emotions, right? Well, God is united to you in spirit and he gives you the authority to take um, a supersede whatever you're feeling. Say, I don't feel joyful right now, but I, I'm going to choose to live in peace. I'm gonna choose to live in trusting you, Jesus. But many times for my life that my feelings have been setting spiritual traps. The biggest trial to your faith likely won't be a tough theological question. It's not gonna be something that like riddles your life and pondering, oh, the existence of God. Really, the challenging times of your faith are when your feelings and emotions are so out of whack because you're gonna begin to confuse the spirit of God, God's power in you, your relationship, your identity with what you are feeling. We're believers, not feelers. Look at this verse, Jeremiah 17, nine, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. 
says, who can understand it? Usually it's our hearts that are the one, usually it's our hearts that betray us. Talk about all these people betraying us. That's actually, scripture tells us it's probably our own heart. We probably place expectations that never were meant to place on somebody else. And then our, our hearts got hurt. But in the meantime, that is what the scripture shows us is that our hearts are not an unbiased source. What you are feeling is not what God's saying. So if we feel shame, the tendency is therefore to feel that God's voice as shame. If we are feeling inadequate, we usually feel that God is comparing us with something. And so I just challenge you to examine your feelings against what the Bible says about you. I know in an environment like this, like we're all like really passionate people, right? We get up and we're like, yeah, you know, but, and, and, and we're after the, the authentic stuff. The authentic spirit of God is, is so awesome. It's so invigorating. It's enlivening. It's, it's not boring. I, I like went to a Christian college and a lot of the classes were just boring. <laughs> this is not boring, you know? But what happens is we can be entertained. We can be drawn into this, but not read the word, And that's a very dangerous area too because that is what leads us to being uneducated about what's going in our mind. God won't inspire a feeling or emotion in you that is contradictory to his word. That's how you can tell. God will not inspire a feeling or emotion that is contradictory to his word. Now let me in like 14 seconds give you what God's word says about you. I'm a saint, a trophy of Christ in victory. I am born of imperishable seed. I am a new creation, complete in Christ and perfect forever. I am a child of God, the apple of my father's eye. I am one with the Lord in the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm eternally redeemed and completely forgiven. I am seated with Christ in heavenly realms. I am summoned by his name and I am his. I am dead to sin and alive to God. I am free from guilt and condemnation. I am righteous, holy and blameless. I am healed and I am strong in the Lord. I am hidden in Christ and eternally secure. I am loved with an everlasting love and am highly favored. I am my beloved's and he is mine. I am the head and not the tail. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing that I am a joint heir with Christ. I am a competent minister of the new covenant. I am a bona fide and qualified chosen and anointed one. I am his royal ambassador, a missionary to the world. Almost done. I am a king and a priest, a carrier of the Lord's authority. I am a healer of the sick and the demon's worst nightmare. I am king of the world because his victory is mine. I am as bold as a lion and more than a conqueror. I am a towering testimony of the spirit's power. I am the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I am the sweet smell of Jesus to those who are perishing. I'm a tree planted by water and I'm a fruitful branch. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves and by the grace of God, I am who I am. No. I never rehearsed. I didn't know it was going to be that long. (laughs) But there it is. Everything I just said. It's all from the word. But how do we know that if we never go to the word? So then we have to ask ourselves, what are our emotions and feelings tell us? And then we just got to look up one of these 10 trillion verses that contradicts it. Next, does it love or does it label? in hearing God's voice, in connecting with the prophetic word, in understanding what God is speaking, there's usually an outflow of a direction. It either loves or it labels. 
What we hear in secret determines how we behave. And if we're not loving, I can guarantee you it's because we're labeling. Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would be one and as he and the Father are one. But so many people have allowed their faith to give themselves permissions to divide. We can, we can reconcile anything. We, we can be the most divisive, hateful, unloving people by just saying, dot, 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 God's calling me too. It's kind of how you know, like, um, you know you're about to have gossip when someone says, well, not to gossip, but. <laughs> you're like, here it comes. But the same thing is in the Christian faith is that we actually can justify any hurtful thing we want and then we label, well, it's because God's calling me to that. But, but here's what labels do. Labels give us permission to suspend biblical commands to love and accept all people. Labels give us permission to suspend biblical commands to love and accept all people. How about labels like pornographer, alcoholic, adulterer, addict, gossiper, liar, wicked, criminal, homeless, mentally ill, failure, deadbeat, loser, slacker, cheater, predator. All those are assignments of labels on people. And when we give someone a label like that, it gives us justification to withhold love. It gives us justification to cut off fellowship and relationship. It gives us permission to behave totally contrary to the scriptures. How about the word gay? How about the, the, the label we give someone with same-sex attraction? We in the Christian church have given ourselves such permission, things such as like picketing and things like protesting, all these other stuff in the, the name of labeling people one certain sin and forgetting all the rest. And we give ourselves permission to do things that Jesus never ever permitted at all in the scriptures. Amen? Amen. But almost every word from God should be driving you deeper into relationship with Jesus and his children. We're a family here, but God has other children. They just don't know that he's their daddy yet. The story of the prodigal son is about all of humanity. It's not about the wayward Christian who once went to Bible college and now, you know, is like wandering, smoking, and doing a No, it's, it's actually about all of humanity. Humanity is the prodigal son. If God is our father of all people and all people are, um, if we're all endowed by our creator, and he created everybody. I, I, I can't fathom that God creates children to die not knowing him. Again, that's not an all good, all loving, all perfect God. And so that story is about us reconciling the world. It says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 that we are a new creation, right? Like we are, um, we're brand new. And the very next verse is that we are bestowed into the ministry of reconciliation that we would tell the world that their sins are not held against them that we are, are proclaiming the goodness of God and welcoming them in and bringing them into love relationship. You want to change someone's lives, you love them radically. They just have no framework for it. They, just, they can't get it because they're so familiar with labels. And similar to the last one, next is, does the word build up or does it tear down? That goes for you, you know, in terms of like how you feel what the word is saying, but it also goes for others. You can ask yourself, in order for this word to be true, does it require the downfall or calamity of another? Does the word elevate one person at the expense or downfall of another? The words of God breathe life, not death. 
They build up, they don't tear down. The scriptures say it's the kindness of God that brings people back to repentance. But I, if I had a nickel for every time somebody told me um, that they're gonna marry somebody who's already married, I would be on a yacht in Tahiti. It's amazing how many people think that, oh yeah, God's gonna use divorce, adultery, or death so that you can marry them. That's perfectly reasonable and logical. It's incredible how many people will rationale their, their ways into contradictory ways of the scriptures, but actually means that someone's gonna have calamity or downfall. I've also heard people believing that God is gonna dethrone somebody so that they can take the senior leadership role. It's like, yeah, that totally sounds like honoring those in authority over you. We'll just skip that chapter and that verse. Um, I remember also, you know, any football fans out there, I'm not one of them, but the, uh, the, the whole Christian scene was like all up in arms with Tim Tebow, remember? Like the, the Broncos and all that stuff. And it kind of turned out to be a good idea that they brought in Peyton Manning. Um, but there are people praying against Peyton Manning's contract. In my world, that's called a curse. I mean, I'm just, right? When you go to like a Christian soccer game or a Christian soccer game. <laughs> I don't like soccer, so I can't reconcile those worlds anyways. But you know, like, okay, so you have kids or whatever, like, and you're praying against the team. Well, there's probably other Christians on the other team. Does anybody not know that? Like, God just beat them down. We want to have them losing, crying afterwards, send them home packing. You know, and we, we bring God into the mix and it's just like, ugh. I don't believe God really wants to see you win and have everybody else lose. If you were on Facebook several weeks ago, um, people were prophesying an earthquake of God's judgment to San Francisco. Anybody see that? I love Brian Ormy's like, not gonna happen. Everybody will, you know, watch Thursday night roll by and nobody recant what they said. And he was right. Why is that? Because God doesn't deliver judgment on people, groups, nations, and cities because the devil was defeated at the cross. If you look at the Old Testament stuff, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. I, that's another message altogether. But, but Satan has been defeated, amen? Sin has been defeated. So God does not need to bring judgment onto cities because his judgment is fully satisfied in the cross. We actually are living in victory because sin and death has been defeated. But there is gonna be one more final judgment when Christ comes back and makes all wrongs right. But in the meantime, God isn't gonna like warm up with some other judgments. He's not gonna like get his like, you know, pitching arm warmed up. I just don't believe that. And finally, is does the word look forward or backward? Does the word look forwards or backwards? If the word is about what you did and not what you're gonna do, it may not be from God. God is so concerned that he redeems us of our past and he may deal with you about something in your past, but he's always looking forward. You may be stuck in the past, but God isn't. Too many people are like trying to like wrestle with like, oh, God's still like dealing with me this issue. He's actually eternal. And so he's like kind of like living in your future, even though you're not yet. So why don't you walk towards the words and walk towards the identity in the heart that's actually calling you forward? People uh, confuse that God exposes sin. We know that First John says God is love. Love covers a multitude of sins. That the Spirit of God is going to come and He's going to cover you. 
He doesn't want you exposed. He doesn't want you humiliated. He doesn't want you a public spectacle. So that he was made a spectacle on our behalf so that we don't have to go through that. But sin has this nasty tendency of getting out on its own. And if it does, don't blame God. <laughs> He's trying to bring you back. It, it's, it's part of his nature to love you and to cover you and to work through with you on that. Love covers a multitude of sins. And there's nothing anyone can do about your past. So there are reasons that God will always be focused on your future and leading you there. Amen.